This morning we're going to study the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're looking at John chapter 17 and verse 1. From start to finish, John chapter 17 is a prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ to God. And it is a prayer in which Jesus prayed for himself and for his glory. He prayed for his disciples who were at, who were with him at the time, the apostles who were with him and other disciples who were around at that particular time in history. And he prayed for future disciples, including all of you who know him as your Lord and your Saviour. When you read John chapter 17, you might feel as if you are intruding into a very private time of communion between the Son of God and his Father. However, when Jesus prayed this prayer to his Father, he did so as the great heavenly high priest, representing the people of God, interceding for them, and he prayed audibly, he prayed out loud, presumably to be heard by others. We can see that to be the case in verse 1 and in chapter 18, verse 1. Let's have a look at those two. Verse 1 of John chapter 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Jesus was speaking and in John chapter 18, verse 1, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Sidron. When you read this this, um, chapter of the Bible, this time of communion, this this time of very private communion with his father, when you can think to yourself, Jesus, he went up onto a mountain on those various occasions And clearly, he wanted to be alone to pray to his father. However, this particular prayer was meant to be heard by the apostles at the time. And not only that, it was meant to occupy an entire chapter of John's gospel. So not only the apostles would hear that prayer, but that we too, all those years later, we would hear that same prayer as we read the words of John chapter 17 and no doubt like the apostles of old we would be comforted, strengthened and encouraged by those words and built up in our most holy Christian faith. As for me, John chapter 17 has long been one of the most, if not the most encouraging, the most comforting chapters in the entire Bible. And as we study it over the next few weeks or so, may it be as precious to you as it is to me. Today we shall simply consider the first verse in which it is written, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. In this verse, Jesus addressed God as Father. And we too have every right and every reason to address God as Father 
if we are followers of Jesus. After all, that's what Jesus taught his disciples to do, didn't he? In that prayer where he said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. This is a prayer that I pray virtually every morning when I'm out walking my dog. And when you pray such a prayer, do you consider what a privilege it is for you to address God, the Creator God, as your Father? It's a tremendous privilege to know God and to address Him as Father. And that privilege is conferred upon all who receive Jesus as their Saviour from sin and they believe on His name. Jesus He is the one who gives people the right, the power, the privilege to become sons and daughters of God. Looking at it negatively, far from being your loving Heavenly Father, God will cast you, body and soul, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his demons if you leave this world having rejected his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and having rejected forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus. Coming back to Jesus addressing God as Father in verse 1, that is very, very different to us doing so. As wonderful as it is for us to be able to address God as Father, it's different when Jesus addresses God as Father because Jesus is very different to us. Jesus is the eternal Son of God and that is a fundamental and non-negotiable truth despite all the objections in the world such as from the 14.5 million or so unbelieving Jews, the 1.25 billion Muslims in the world who say that Jesus is nothing more than a prophet of God or the 8.5 million Jehovah's Witnesses who insist that Jesus was the archangel Michael in human form, and so it goes on and on. But we have it on authority of the word of God that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. Unlike the Lord Jesus Christ, we become sons and daughters of God by adoption. Even so, if through faith in Jesus you are an adopted son of God and you know God as your loving Heavenly Father, then you are truly blessed. Indeed, you are blessed forevermore with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking at verse 1 again, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. God does everything in his time, in accordance with his timetable. We see that to be the case with regards to him sending his Son into the world. As it is written in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. The fullness of time speaks of the completeness of time. In verse 1, when Jesus said, the hour is come, 
He was saying that God's appointed time had come when the work that God had sent him to do would be fulfilled with his, re- with his crucifixion, with his resurrection, with his ascension, right through to him being highly exalted by his father and taking his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, when Jesus said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. He was praying for the attributes of God to be revealed and to be manifested at the cross and in all that would follow. Needless to say, God was pleased to answer that prayer request of his only begotten Son. How often do we pray for God to be glorified? That's what Jesus prayed in verse 1. The holiness of God was seen at the cross in the answer to prayer. As as A.W. Pink said, God's holiness is manifested at the cross. Wondrously and yet most solemnly does the atonement display God's infinite holiness and abhorrence of sin. How hateful must sin be to God for him to punish it to to its utmost deserts when it was imputed to his son. So we see the holiness of God at the cross. We see the wrath of a holy and sin-hating God at the cross. When you think about all those Old Testament animal sacrifices, you need not imagine that God was angry with the sacrificial lambs, the goats and the oxen, the, the, the doves and so on. But he most certainly was angry with the sinners whom those animals represented when they were killed. <clears throat> Finally, in the fullness of time and in the fulfilment of the Old Testament sacrificial system, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, shed his own precious blood and he laid down his own life as an atonement for the sins of all who trust in him. And consequently, by his self-sacrifice at the cross, in their place, the wrath of God was appeased. The wrath of God towards all who trust in Jesus was appeased. But again, if you are not trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, even now the wrath of God abides on you because you have rejected the Son of God in your arrogance and in your pride. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Of course he will do right. And we see the judgment of God at the cross. God has decreed that the soul who sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. As such, at the cross, it pleased God to bruise his only begotten son in the place of all who trust in him as their substitute sin bearer. We see the mercy of God at the cross. Even though the wages of sin is death, God in his mercy did not give us Christians 
the wages that we so richly deserve. Instead, his son was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. So we see the mercy of God at the cross. As for love, there has never been a display of love in the whole of history that even begins to match the love of God that was manifest at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would challenge anyone to come up with a love that even begins to compare with that love. As it is written, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is love. You really know nothing about love in its purest and its fullest form unless you know the Son of God as the one who loved you and who gave himself for you. As it is written in one of the hymns, the love of Jesus, what is it? None but his loved ones know. What happened at the cross speaks endless volumes about the love of God towards undeserving sinners. When the Lord Jesus Christ sought glory for himself, it was perfectly reasonable. After all, he is the sinless son of God. Even so, as can be seen in verse 1, when Jesus asked to be glorified by his father, to be held in honour, to be clothed with splendour, to be exalted, to be magnified, to be praised, to be extolled. He did so in order that he might glorify his Father. And that is precisely what happened at the cross. And in his resurrection, and in his ascension to heavenly glory, where he is now seated at the right hand of God, and highly exalted by God. The day will dawn when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that includes not only the knees and the tongues of the redeemed of the Lord, but also of all who have rejected him as well. Listen to what the Apostle John saw and heard in his heavenly vision concerning the glory of both the Father and the Son. I'm going to read Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through to 14. And I beheld... And I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honour and glory 
and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth for ever and ever. What lovely words, eh? What a vision that was for that old man, the Apostle John. And we can see that ourselves because it's recorded for us in Revelation chapter 5. Or at least we can see something of that glory of God. If I stood in this pulpit seeking glory from God, for myself, you would probably recoil in horror and you would be within your right to get up and to walk out of this place. As as sinfully fallen creatures, we are not worthy to ask for glory and anyone who seeks to glorify himself is simply following the example of the God of this world who actually imagined that he could get the Lord Jesus Christ to bow down and worship him. For example, at a time when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, the God of this world, it is written in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, that the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. That was the devil speaking to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. This world is populated by sinful people who, like the devil, are self-obsessed and motivated by self-seeking and self-exalting desires and ambitions, even seeking to exalt themselves to the throne of God. It's perhaps most obvious with certain film stars, pop stars, celebrities in sport and in show business who exalt themselves and they are idolised and worshipped and adored by their fans. And then there are, of course, various world leaders who also think too highly of themselves, like the king of Babylon, about 700 BC. He thought too highly of himself until God brought him down back to earth. Listen to this. I'm now going to read from Isaiah chapter 14 concerning the king of Babylon, Isaiah 14. Verses 11 through to 15. Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. 
I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Those words are about the king of Babylon and they are seen by many to to be a description of the devil as well and perhaps a description of so many people in this world. There is a tendency for all of us to exalt ourselves. If you are not a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have no interest in living for the glory of God. That's not something that enters your mind if you don't belong to Jesus. Living for the glory of God. You inevitably exalt yourself and you exalt other equally sinful people instead. The only way that you will ever feel entirely comfortable with God receiving all of the glory and you receiving none of the glory is if by the grace of God you humble yourself before God and you believe on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as a repentant sinner. God will then exalt you himself by lifting you up from the pit of destruction and setting your feet upon the rock whose name is Christ Jesus. From then on you will seek the enabling grace of the God of your salvation to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify not you but your Father which is in heaven. That's far better, isn't it? Can you not see that? Far better instead of you, a sinful creature, seeking to exalt yourself and receive glory. Far better to live your life, a born-again life, for the glory of God. Finally, the Lord Jesus Christ is truly glorious in that he, his, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is his. His is the kingdom and he is exalted as head over all. Speaking about Jesus there. Do you know anything about the glory of God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you seen anything of that divine glory in Christ Jesus? The apostles did in John chapter 1 and verse 14. The apostle John said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Blessed are you if you have beheld something of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ through the eye of saving faith and you are living a born again life for the glory of God. Amen.